This is Garden Variety, a horticulture podcast from Iowa Public Radio and Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. I'm Charity Nebbe. The beloved monarch butterfly has now been classified as endangered by the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Many Iowans have been worried about the declining number of monarchs for a long time, and a lot of us have been planting milkweed and doing other things in hopes of supporting the species. With me to talk about what this news means and what we as individuals can do for monarchs is Laura Jessie Isles. She's an entomologist and director of the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State University. Hello, Laura. Good morning, Charity. Thank you so much for being here. And this is not the federal endangered species list. I saw a lot of people sharing this news yesterday that the International Union for Conservation of Nature has listed the monarch butterfly as endangered. That's not the same thing as the federal endangered species list. Uh, What do we know about what this really means? Right. So you're correct that this is different than the the Endangered Species Act um, with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And there's no change in the status of the monarch. It's uh, it's a candidate for listing under the Endangered Species Act, and they are evaluating populations annually. But there's really no regulatory change. But the one of the nice things about the International Union um, for Conservation of Nature recognizing the monarch is it does bring attention to you know, one of the really beautiful insect species um, that, you know, warrants conservation. So I think it's always great to, to pay attention to insects and their populations. Well, and the monarch butterfly does hold a special heart or a special place in the hearts of so many individuals. It's one of those insects that we really can identify <laughs> with and love, which is pretty rare in the insect world, isn't it? It is, unfortunately. As an entomologist, I love them all. But yes, the monarch is kind of the ambassador for entomology. And of course, we've been watching the population of monarchs change over time. And uh, there have been some ups and downs in recent years. I mean, from your perspective, how do you feel things are going? Well, I I mean, I think I'm concerned about all insects. Um, the climate change that we're observing, that's probably the number one threat for the monarch and all insects, certainly habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, loss of, you know, nectar plants for the adult monarchs, you know, milkweed, and then, you know, herbicides and insecticides, you know, killing the milkweed plants or directly killing, you know, the monarch butterflies or caterpillars. These are all things that are kind of occurring at the same time and impacting our insects. Well, and with the monarch butterfly, uh, we see, of course, a lot less milkweed in the state of Iowa than we did, say, when I was a child. We see a lot fewer um, monarch butterflies than we did when I was a child. But we have seen a a real movement in recent years among individuals trying to create habitat in their yards or even in ditches and, and that kind of thing. Do you feel like that is making an impact? I feel it is. And I feel it's it's really important to do. And it's, you know, something that we can do. And, and planting those milkweed and planting those pollinator plants is really helpful. And, you know, and, and planting them and then also finding out the best ways to management. There, there's some research from Michigan State showing that actually mowing off milkweeds, because the monarchs prefer milkweeds that are, you know, roughly two or three weeks old, kind of re-sprouting can really help increase egg laying. So there's things you can do, not just planting milkweeds, but managing them in a way that encourages monarchs to lay eggs on them. 
There are a lot of different kinds of milkweed. Does that matter to monarchs? They tend to prefer, if, if given a choice, they tend to lean towards the common milkweed and the swamp milkweed, but they're not terribly picky about it. But, you know, you can pick varieties that are a little, have prettier flowers and might behave a little bit better in the garden. But certainly if you have just common milkweed coming up as a weed and you're willing to just leave that in your garden, that's perfectly good as well. Well, and I, I don't have a particularly green thumb, but I can certainly grow common milkweed. <laughs> I think any, <laughs> yes. anybody who really gives it a try can, can really make something happen with common milkweed. Um, you mentioned pesticide use. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the impact that pesticide use has been having on monarchs and may be having on monarchs. Right. And so certainly the loss of milkweed and things, if you know, using just, you know, broad spectrum herbicides will also kill milkweed, um, the really important host plant. But, you know, I tend to focus, you know, kind of on what, what I can control myself and in my, my home yard, um, those use of insecticides. And I think we have to really pay attention as we're trying to grow these pollinator gardens and butterfly gardens. We can't, we don't have any insecticides that just kills the bad insects and not the good insects. So when you're attracting these insects into your yard, you do need to think about, am I using a product that could cause them harm? So it's a, it's a balance there and not trying not to use those insecticides in your landscape. And we're going to talk about some of the insecticides or the, the insects that are driving people crazy right now. And so that that is a, that is a real conundrum for a lot of people where they do want to create uh, habitat for pollinators, but of course they don't want to attract these species that we consider to be pest species. Right, and I think most of us probably listening here in Iowa are seeing Japanese beetles, and that's probably one of the insects that really triggers a lot of insecticide use in the home landscape. Um, Japanese beetles are an invasive species, so they're not native here. And one thing we really see with invasive species is they get very high populations, and we don't have those natural biological controls and those integrated pest management methods. And so we're very often go, one of our few tools is insecticides. So that's why they tend to trigger more insecticide use than a lot of our native pests do. Well, and I, I realize that Japanese beetles, they can be very plentiful in, let's say, my yard this year. And they, they may not be very plentiful in your yard this year. What are you hearing about Japanese beetles this summer? It tends to be pretty spotty and then pretty spotty on certain plants. And so it's it's so important not to spray plants that are flowering and that are attracting, you know, pollinators and things. Even if they are attracting Japanese beetles, you don't want to be spraying those with insecticides. The good thing about Japanese beetles is we rarely, they don't usually kill plants. They can be very annoying. They can make plants very unsightly. But generally, you know, the things you can do just to keep plants healthy, like watering them and things like that, helps the plants recover from the Japanese beetle feeding. You mentioned uh, climate change as an element in uh, what's going on with monarchs right now as well. And, of course, we're seeing a lot of changes because of climate change. And, and we're just starting to understand some of these changes and what they may mean long term. That's also something that as an individual, I, I'm feeling pretty helpless right now. Um, what, how, how do you think about that element when you're watching a species like the monarch butterfly and, and wondering what humans can do to make sure this species survives? Right. And I think you're, you kind of describe how most of us kind of feel like, you know, what can we do? Um, 
And that's and especially drought and things like that is going to have an enormous impact on milkweed populations. So and especially the western population of monarchs has been really affected by droughts, you know, on the west coast. So there's kind of that that enormous things going on, but then also, you know, in our yard and our milkweed, we we can water them and things like that. So we can, you know, at least on, you know, a small scale kind of counteract some of these large things that are going on. The monarch butterfly, as I mentioned, is beloved and everybody can identify it. We know what it looks like. We care. (laughs) We care about the monarch butterfly. Do you feel like in some ways that's an ambassador species for some of the other insect species that, that may also be struggling, but aren't something that we see or tend to feel an emotional connection to? It definitely is. And all the things that we're talking about that help monarchs are going to help any insects, you know, maintaining habitat, reducing insecticide use, you know, all those things are great. You know, monarchs are great fun because they're one that's pretty easy to, you know, most of us have raised them as a kid, you know, or or had, you know, friends or things raising monarchs. So it's one that we're pretty familiar with and but everything that we do to help monarchs helps other insects and other animals. Now, speaking of raising monarchs, let's talk about that because I know that's a really fun thing for people to do. I also know people who, when they see a, a monarch caterpillar, they grab it up and, and raise it inside because they want to make sure that it makes it to the butterfly stage. <laughs> Can we make a difference that way? So, you know, raising you know, some monarchs isn't going to make a huge difference in the overall population. But what I really think it does is creates, you know, especially with kids and things, an appreciation for the monarchs. And in fact, I usually prefer if people are just raising just a few because actually caterpillars can get diseases too. And so if you're collecting, you know, many, many of them in a cage, you're much more likely to get, you know, a bacterial infection or things like that. But you know, raising a, a few of them, you know, from egg to adult is really enjoyable. Yesterday, my news feed on Facebook just filled up with people sharing these articles about the, the monarch being identified as endangered by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. When you see something like that, where it really takes off uh, really in a viral way through social media, I mean, that does say something about how we feel about this insect as an entomologist. How, how do you respond to that? Oh, I, you know, I love it when people, you know, care about an insect, care about what's going on in their landscape, you know, as a, you know, entomologist and a, and a gardener too. It's just, it's, it's fun when we can see, you know, what impact that we can have um, in our garden with our, you know, plant selection and allowing those common milkweed to grow. Is there another insect species that you would like us to pay a little more attention to? Do you have do you have a second or third favorite that maybe if we want to look a little bit closer we can get to know? Oh, do, oh my favorites. Well, I love the giant silkworm moths, the luna moths and the cercopia moths and all those are just some of my favorite caterpillars to to find and rear it. And those are an important species and they're facing, you know, habitat loss more in, in forested areas. And they're one that, you know, lights at night attracting luna moths can interfere with their mating and things like that. So uh, they're, they're just another really cool species, in my opinion. <laughs> All right. And of course, everybody this time of year is enjoying fireflies. Uh, one of the maybe maybe that does 
falls second in everybody's favorite insect category. <laughs> yes, but they're, <laughs> but they're definitely very cool. And you can see them at night, so that's fun. It is fun. All right, we're going to take a, a break for just a moment. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. Entomologist Laura Jesse Isles is the director of the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State University. I'm Charity Nebbe. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Garden Variety is a production of Iowa Public Radio and Iowa State University Extension. It's produced by me, Aaron Style, Caitlin Troutman, and the Iowa Public Radio talk show team. For more garden goodness, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. Just go to iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. See you next time.